This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Americans are profoundly divided over same-sex marriage, and now that gay civil unions and marriages are legal in some states, the issue has become increasingly urgent. In his new book, Same-Sex, Different States, When Same-Sex Marriages Cross State Lines, our guest today, Andrew Koppelman, offers workable legal solutions to the problems that arise when gay couples cross state borders. Koppelman is professor of law at Northwestern University School of Law and author of Anti-Discrimination Law and Social Equality and the Gay Rights Question in Contemporary American Law. Andrew Koppelman, welcome to Weekly Signals. Very happy to be here. Well, nice to have you with us. How, how are you doing today? Doing good. Now, do we have you at the university right now? Is that where we reached you? Uh, you've reached me at home. Oh, very, very good. And, you know, I just right now, could you give us a general overview of the, the status of same-sex marriage here in the States? Uh, yes. Uh, well, same-sex marriage as such is recognized in only one state, Massachusetts, but its legal equivalent is recognized right now in, I think, uh, five or six other states. Let's count them. Uh, domestic partnerships, which are the legal equivalent of marriage, are recognized in California. Uh, this is the legal equivalent for state law. Federal law is another question. Uh, and there are civil unions, which are basically the same thing, marriage in all but name, are recognized in Vermont, New Jersey, uh, I believe now New Hampshire, uh, Connecticut. Am I leaving one out? Uh, <laughs> the, the number is growing. Um, and... Uh, so, uh, and then we have uh, in 44 of the states, we've got uh, laws of one kind or another uh, that say that they're not going to recognize same-sex marriage. Curiously, some of these are the same states. So, for example, California, where uh, you're broadcasting from, both has domestic partnership, which is marriage in all but name, and a law on the books saying the state isn't going to recognize same-sex marriage. Oh. Hmm. You know, is is it simply religion that makes this such a sticky issue, or do you think there's some other? Uh, you know, this is uh, this is a job for the Freudians, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a law professor. Uh, it's clear that there are two things going on here. One is the normative question of what relationships we ought to value and what relationships ought to be. Uh, honored by the law. There's a second question, which is just an administrative question about what the legal consequences should be of different agreements between people. The two of them get intertwined, and I take it one of the reasons why domestic partnership was in much easier sell than marriage in California, for instance, is because it pulls the two issues apart. Domestic partnerships give people all the same rights under state law as marriage, but it doesn't give them the name, and the name is terribly important to a lot of people. I think it's important that we kind of draw some distinctions here. Uh, marriage is a state-recognized um, status, uh, yeah. status, but marriage is based on a religious practice. I, 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 I may not be saying this correctly, but um, it's, yeah, it's, although the, there's. Uh, some evidence that, uh, I mean, we know that, uh, you know, who knows about early humans? We know that there are other species that mate for life, and uh, mm. 
birds don't have the institution of marriage. So uh, it's hard to tell which came first, whether uh, there was first this practice of lifelong monogamous mating or whether there was first uh, this institution. But uh, it doesn't really matter. We are where we are. Right. Well, I guess what I'm trying to get to is is, is, uh, what's the difference between a civil union or domestic partnership even and marriage? What's the name? (laughs) It's a name. And the name is terribly important to people. We can try and parse out why it's terribly important to people, and I think that we're just going to be guessing about that. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that there's enormous political resistance to the name of marriage. And uh, so there's just not going to be national resolution of that question. What I'm proposing to do is focus on the more mundane question of what's the law going to do in specific situations Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with specific people. Because I think that we can address that, the uh, deeper question of what relationships we ought to recognize uh, as ultimately a question for the philosophers and the theologians and... uh, it's outside my area of expertise. Right. I have opinions about that, but uh, I, my my opinions aren't so much better than anybody else's that I should be on the radio talking about. Uh, well, <laughs> whereas I do know something about the law. Well, well, then what should the law do about this uh, situation that we're in now? What, what would you suggest? Well, what we the situation we're in is not unprecedented. The standard question that lawyers and courts ask when they're presented with a new situation is, well, have we ever addressed this before? Because we don't want to reinvent the wheel. If uh, there's a problem that is similar to the problem today that courts have thought about before, let's, as a first take, try to think about doing it the way we did it before, if we had a workable solution in the past. And this is not the first time that the United States has been deeply divided about what kinds of relationships it ought to recognize. There have been divisions about what relation, what degree of kin could marry, whether second cousins could marry. There have been disagreements about, uh, nobody remembers this anymore, but remarriage after divorce. It, uh, it was a question about whether the guilty party in a divorce based on adultery could remarry afterward. And different states had different laws about that. There were questions about the age of marriage. Some states allowed 12-year-olds to marry. But the deepest and bitterest division among the states was interracial marriage, mm-hmm. marriage between whites and other races. And there there was, uh, we had laws against this for 300 years from the 1660s until the Supreme Court struck down all of these laws in 1967. And 41 different states, including California, had such laws on the books at one time or another. And so you were presented with exactly this problem. Some states recognize marriages that other states regard as an abomination and contrary to God's law and on and on. If anything, the state policies were stronger then than they are now because the southern states during the period of racial segregation not only refused to recognize interracial marriage, they imposed criminal penalties on people and sent them to prison for being in an interracial marriage. What I found interesting when I went back and looked at these cases, which are largely forgotten today, is that even in this charged circumstance, the southern states didn't make a blunderbuss of their policy. They didn't say, well, we're never going to recognize these marriages under any circumstances, because they understood that in a federal system, people are going to move around, and it would be ridiculous to say that somebody's marriage just blinks on and off like a strobe light as they're moving across state lines. So the rule that they generally adopted was, where do you live? The state where you live gets to decide who you can marry. 
So if and there's one case I found in Mississippi in 1948, and Mississippi in 1948 is a terrible place. Mm-hmm. There's just intense racial segregation, really vicious. But the Mississippi courts in 1948 have to decide the validity of an interracial marriage of a couple that lived in Chicago. And they said, we're not trying to govern the world. We're not trying to tell people what they can do in Chicago. So even though the Mississippi state constitution said interracial marriages were void and prohibited, they said, well, that only applies to people living in Mississippi. It doesn't mean the courts can't recognize this under any circumstances. And that has implications for the same-sex marriage issue. Because, uh, you know, it's fine for Utah to say, well, you know, we're not going to recognize same-sex marriages under any circumstances. But, uh, you know, you think about situations that can arise. Suppose that a couple who's married in Massachusetts is driving through Utah on the interstate, not even meaning to stop in Utah, just trying to get through it to get somewhere else, and they get into a car accident. Now the hospital wants to know who can make medical decisions for a person who's hospitalized. It doesn't make any sense not to recognize the marriage under those circumstances. Or take another situation that worries me. Um, One thing we know about heterosexual marriages is that they sometimes break up and sometimes people behave very badly. And there's no reason to think that that's not ever going to happen with same-sex marriages. So suppose that somebody, they're in a same-sex marriage in Massachusetts, they're living in Massachusetts, they're raising kids, they've commingled their assets, and one of them empties out the bank account empties out the safe deposit box, takes all of the stocks and bonds, and runs away to Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. Can he say, well, you know, I'm in a place that same-sex marriage isn't recognized, so you can't sue me here for the marital property because here they don't recognize your marriage. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I can marry somebody else here, without dis- uh, someone of the opposite sex, without disclosing to them that I've got this spouse back in Massachusetts. And I think that this would create problems under Utah's laws against polygamy, but uh, that's what blanket non-recognition would mean. Well, this is a theoretical. This is, as far as you know, this isn't something that... This has not come up yet, but I would be astounded if it does not. Now, is this sort of uh, practice of law, is that something that would be dealt with by the Supreme Court at any particular point of time where they would say... It's the, it's the state's rights to choose as they will, and then the states would each have to decide at, the, at that particular well, point. Well, the questions are always in the first place questions of state law. Uh, there are constitutional issues, but mostly these aren't constitutional issues. These are issues of ordinary law about you know, what should courts do if they're just trying to follow precedent and just trying to apply the law. Now, there are constitutional problems if courts act in bad faith and try to distort the law to bring about some preconceived result, but I don't want to start with the presumption that courts are going to do that. The main thing that I'm trying to do in the book is say, suppose that courts try to do their job in good faith, and suppose that the courts try to just follow the law in these cases, and they've got these state statutes saying no recognition of same-sex marriage, and then cases like this arise, what would it make sense for courts to do if they're acting in good faith and trying to follow the law? I can't predict with confidence that that's what they're going to do, but as a general matter, that is what they try to do. But there's, there's a legal pr- principle here where, where states need are, are recognize the, the, uh, the laws of others, and I've forgotten the name. Uh, well, the uh, term is choice of law or comedy, and uh, the 
rule is that frequently a state will be willing to apply another state's law if that other state has a greater legitimate interest in the transaction than the state where the court happens to be that's hearing the case. But then to figure out when that applies, you got to figure out which state does have a more legitimate interest in the transaction. Right. Well, the, um, we're speaking with Andrew Koppelman. The book is Same Sex, Different States, When Same Sex Marriages Cross State Lines. Um, there have been some of the laws that have been passed, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I thought some of the laws that have been passed banning same sex marriages have, in fact, excluded they've actually been proactive in excluding marriages performed in Massachusetts or um, but, well they haven't specified Massachusetts the, well, uh, other state, uh, yeah. uh, I think that uh, my, my guess is that uh, I'm, I'm not aware of any state that has tried to single out another state right. to beat up on and I think that there probably would be constitutional problems with that but uh, well, not recognize. I, I didn't. I shouldn't have used Massachusetts specifically. But banning in their in their law, it bans the recognition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, or, there are uh, you know forty one forty one states since uh, the same sex marriage issue uh, became prominent again in the early nineteen nineties. Passed these laws really very much with the idea that we don't want our citizens to go to another state, enter into a same-sex marriage, come back here, and force us to recognize it. And so they passed laws making clear that they had a strong public policy against that, and three states already had laws like that on the books. Have they, has that been tested? Uh, very little so far. Okay. Um, one of the reasons why it's hard to test these laws is because they, I think the most persuasive case for an injustice with choice of law is when somebody it finds themselves unfairly surprised by having a law apply to them that they never anticipated. So, you know, suppose that uh, you and I enter into a contract that doesn't matter what kind that's valid under California law. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting in California and we enter into this contract. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, the, and then I go to a court in Nevada where such contracts aren't allowed, and I get the Nevada court to declare that that contract is void because it's void under Nevada law. Well, that would be massively unfair because you had no reason to anticipate that Nevada law was going to apply to that. And, and that would be unconstitutional. The Supreme Court has said that there have to be some minimum contacts between the transaction and the law that's being applied. You can't unfairly surprise people in this way. Well, this has implications for same-sex marriage. It means that the most powerful case for interstate recognition of same-sex marriage is a case where the person who is losing out because of the law who's being, that's being applied had no way of anticipating that that law was going to apply. So the case we talked about earlier, where somebody wants to get out of a Massachusetts marriage and he unilaterally goes to Utah and tries to avoid the marriage in Utah, well, the other innocent spouse back in Massachusetts had no way in the world to anticipate that this was going to be in a Utah court where the Utah court was going to try to apply Utah law. So that would be unconstitutional. Now, this has implications for litigation because it means that uh, you can't follow the strategy like the NAACP followed in Brown versus Board of Education, where they carefully planned the litigation and then went and recruited a plaintiff and filed a suit. This is more the kind of case where you've just got to wait and keep your eyes open for somebody who unexpectedly 
is being treated very badly. So the paradigm isn't Brown versus Board. It's the case of the Scottsboro Boys, the right. case in the 1930s where a group of people who had no interest at all in public interest litigation found themselves just arbitrarily accused of capital crimes just because Southern law enforcement authorities needed to recruit some black people to hang in order to calm down public opinion about something. Mm-hmm. And then the public interest organizations came in, but they didn't recruit these guys. It was the Southern Racist Law Enforcement Authorities who recruited these guys. (laughs) And the public interest organizations had to come in and help. So I think with the most powerful same-sex marriage claims, you're just going to have to wait for them to happen. Right. So this is what you're saying. This is an evolving body of, of, of Absolutely. Law. This is happening very slowly. very slowly. That's why there was time for me to think this up, write a book, and publish it, <laughs> because I knew that there was going... This is coming in the future. Well, My aim in writing the book was to make sure that when this happens, and I know that it's going to happen, that there be some source out there that can straighten out what the law is, because there's an awful lot of confusion and misinformation about this. We're speaking with Andrew Koppelman, and the book is Same Sex, Different States. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, this sounds like a uh, a transitional state is what we're talking about here, because if you go back to your example about uh, recognizing interracial marriages, what we're, we're really going for here is to recognize gay marriage. I, I, For some reason, I don't see us staying, and I hope we wouldn't stay too long, in a country that was divided up between gay states and non-gay states. And yeah, there's uh, no question this is an unstable situation on the other. And the United States did, in fact, work its way out of the division over interracial marriage. On the other hand, it took us 300 years. I'm yeah. hoping it's not going to take us that Well, it long. won't. I, from what I've read, in the, uh, the, the demographics on this issue are very much um, the, the people who are young people today do not have this, this uh, same kind of reaction that uh, the older generations seem to have regarding same-sex uh, relationships. It seems that it's trending in the direction of acceptance of, of uh, same-sex marriage. Absolutely. The long-term prognosis is that same-sex marriage is eventually going to get recognized all yeah. over the United States yeah. if trends continue. The uh, slope of public opinions is a, ste- a steady upward slope in favor of recognition. On the other hand, it's not going to happen soon. It's certainly not going to happen in the next few years. Yeah. There are people on both sides who've proposed a uniform national solution to this. Uh, there are people who are in favor of same-sex marriage who've proposed that the U.S. Supreme Court should just say that it's a constitutional right. Um, that would resolve the problem, um, but I don't count a single vote on the U.S. Supreme Court that's ready to do that right. now. There are people on the other side who've proposed a constitutional amendment to ban same-sex marriage all over the United States, and President Bush endorsed that, and it was voted on several times in Congress. But each time it failed, and now that the Democrats are in control of Congress, I don't think we're ever going to see it again. So we're going to have to live with division on this, at least for the foreseeable future. There's just not going to be a uniform solution in either direction. Well, it does seem, um, and I think thankfully it does seem that we are moving in the right direction. It's not going to be 300 years. It'll be a generation. I'll just throw this out. A generation and a half from now wow. will be, will be in, in, in it will be widely recognized uh, as the domestic partnership, the, the civil unions, I think, will be across most of the states in, 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 the, in the country. I don't think 
this is my bold prediction. How's yeah. that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, does that sound plausible to you? It sounds plausible, but we really are guessing here. Yeah. Yogi Berra said that it's dangerous to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> well, he was a wise man that way. We love Yogi Berra. And, and, and Andrew Koppelman, thank you so much for having written the book and being here on Weekly Signals. The book Very again, happy to be here. Thank you. The, the book, again, is Same-Sex, Different States, uh, When Same-Sex Marriages Cross State Lines. Thank you so much for being here on Weekly Signals. Thank you. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar, and this is Weekly Signals. <laughs>